It was the first day of training camp. The year was 1961. 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team arrived in camp for a brand new season. The previous season had ended poorly for the Packers. They were in the championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles, and they lost the lead, and near the end, they, they lost the game. It was a disappointing end to a great season. This was an era when the Green Bay Packers were dominant, and they had the most iconic coach, Vince Lombardi. This new season, as they begin to gather and prepare in training camp, the players are coming with high hopes, always the start of a new season, believing this could be the year of another championship. And they're thinking, coaches have had off-season to prepare. They may come up with some new plays. We're just going to take another step forward. We'll be better than we've ever been. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea that day one of training camp. He began with the most elemental statement ever. It became an iconic statement that has been repeated many times by many coaches since then when he said, gentlemen, and he held up a ball in his right hand. He said, this is a football. He was getting them back to the basics, to the fundamentals. And they're looking at him like, what in the world? Except they knew that he was serious. And they were going to be tackling, blocking, going through the drills of fundamentals because those fundamentals are what made them great. I think of that today when we're in the middle of the season that we're in. It's a good time for us to get back to the fundamentals. Brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. It is our fundamental truth. It's a beautiful love letter to us from God. It contains the insights we need to navigate through whatever waters that we are walking through. Anything that we'll encounter in life, this is God's love letter. It's a Bible. It's where we find our way. We're going to stay focused in this truth today. These continue to be some of the most traumatic days that we can remember probably as a as a country, as a people, as a society, and worldwide, this global pan pandemic, we think we've got it handled and kind of behind us, and things flare up again, kind of flared up this week. One of the things that we learned in the last just number of days, there was a youth camp from one of our local churches, and when they came back from it, some of the youth who returned, returned with COVID-positive cases, and Families, parents were infected even upon their return. One family we have close personal relationship with, and the father of that family whose son came home with COVID contracted it and ended up this last week in the hospital with serious pneumonia, intubated. It sounds like the report I received even today was turning the corner and doing better, but these kinds of things become real when they hit close to home, and there are other situations. I mentioned one last week, Larry Quackenbush in Springfield. I got communication from Randy, his brother, yesterday that Larry is still in jeopardy, still on a ventilator, and hasn't made any progress. And these kinds of moments are challenging that we're walking through. In fact, as a result, we had our 
Children's camp planned this week, heat wave. A lot of energy, a lot of effort went into that. All the plans were laid. Volunteer groups were ready to go. Kids signed up with the news and the development of the virus and just this Delta variant. It's flared up. We want to exercise care and caution and not have children come together in a moment where these things are spreading a bit unusually. And we determined it was best to not convene our children's camp this week and make sure we're prepared and ready for our children to go back to school, which happens in just a week and a half from now. So to let you know that, we've passed that word the way that we can in our technology, but to let you know this week we're going to suspend that. Looking forward to many opportunities to have these events But now is the time for us to pull together. These are the seasons that we're living in, and they're challenging to navigate through. I don't like the things that happen as much as you. Receiving a a new health order from our Sac County that we're being asked to wear masks indoors again. I haven't worn a mask for weeks, having been vaccinated, and that's been a joy and a privilege to not do, and all of a sudden, thinking of having to do that again, that's not high on my list, and we're trying to follow what we're being asked to do for the good of others. So just for your uh, knowledge, what we encourage is doing our best to do our best for others, and if it's possible to wear a mask coming in, going out, what we do when we're sitting here is we're not jeopardizing anyone with the way we can space, so you know, there are some wearing masks today, others not. We're not here to police this at all and yet find our way for the good of others. This is the day in which we live. And I want to come back to my earlier statement. This is a Bible. We need to keep our focus here on this truth and on this word. There have been much talk about mental health concerns. I have days where I'm wondering if I have mental health issues. Certainly, the challenges are difficult to our mental capacity and our emotional well-being. So much so that sometimes we wonder, are we living in the most difficult days ever? Has things ever been as difficult as they are today, as divisive as they are today, as challenging to navigate through? I've complained sitting in my house about the things that we face and trying to figure out how to lead through these days that we're in, and I have thought to myself, I don't think there's ever been a worse time going on than what we're living through, and then I got challenged on that thinking. Maybe I should rethink that. Maybe I should look into the history of man and see what kind of seasons there have been, and here was an interesting thing that came in that look. Are these days really worse than previous generations? So much worse that when you did not have a reasonable expectation that your children would live to adulthood? So much worse than when a toothache could kill you, literally? So much worse than when your children were forcibly kidnapped and sold into slavery? So much worse than the six million Jews slaughtered by Hitler? When was it better? There has perhaps never been a better time to be alive than today. 
We have the skills, we have the health, we have the medicine, we have the technology, we have so much knowledge and so much provision. Maybe there's never been a better time to be alive than today when we look back at where we've come from. When was it better? Hundreds of millions of people have been violently slaughtered throughout the course of time. It would be good for us to put our concerns into perspective in history. People have lived through far worse and sacrificed so much more than what we are feeling our sacrifices are today. For nearly six years in Europe during World War II, people lived with forced blackouts. This ruined livelihoods, it increased crime, but the sacrifice was made. Americans were told by the government how much meat one could buy, how much coffee, dairy, how much oil they were allowed. These were times of mandates where there were no choices to get around it. 25 to 200 million people died, horrible deaths from the Black Plague over a period of five years. The healthy confined themselves to their homes and watched people die in the streets in front of them. Tens of millions of Africans were forcibly ripped from their homes and families and thrust into a life of enslavement. This went on for actual centuries. We're still digging out from these atrocities and these seasons of inhumane treatment. These are parts of our history. Here we are only knowing what we lived through, feeling like, man, this is worse than ever. Mm, maybe it's better than ever. We look back at gulags and systematic extermination, concentration camps, blackouts, rationing, pandemics without modern medical care. 100 years ago, 150 infants per 1,000 births died in the first year of life. This was the average. 15% of those born did not make it past their first birthday. Today, it's just under six deaths per 1,000 births. From 150 to six in 100 years, Mortality rate of infants before their first year. Maybe this is the best time ever to be living. Maybe this is something that we should view differently when we look at the reality that we didn't live through, but we can learn of it and apply that knowledge to where we are today. Thank God for the advancement of medicine and healthcare. Thank God for vaccines that have saved millions of lives from premature death over the past hundred years, from simple illnesses that took lives out, that today those illnesses are driven out even of our society. How blessed are we that that kind of knowledge God has downloaded and the advancement of humankind and what we learn and how we develop it. We live in perhaps the best time ever to be alive today. We're hosting here at our church a vaccine clinic on Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Our Sac County Health Department reached out to churches asking if any churches would be willing. And we were certainly wanting to be a good community partner 
and agreed to that. So the last three weeks, we've had on Thursdays a vaccine clinic here in our parlor, and the county health leaders come. We host them. One of the things we've learned from their experience is they love it here. We're committed to Thursdays through the month of August. They're asking, would we extend it? Because they enjoy it here so much because of the atmosphere and how they're loved on and how they're served. It's such a beautiful thing. Thank God for that opportunity. So if you're thinking about it, here's a great place to come in this house of faith and follow through if that's what you feel led to do. There's no pressures, but there's opportunities. And we're thankful to be able to partner with God's favor and provisions. Thank God for penicillin. Saved lives over and over again. Insulin. Ether, the making of modern surgery that would give people the chance to not feel pain, to be put out during surgery, whereas before, it was horrific, some of the things that humankind had to walk through. Aspirin. Pacemakers. I bear one. <laughs> I'm thankful for these advancements that are life-saving, life-giving. How beautiful is that? The expertise, the wisdom to know that God provides, and he provides in so many ways. And we live in perhaps the best time to be alive ever. I've had a mind shift. I've had a heart change in a sense. Instead of complaining, to be thankful for the goodness of God and what he has provided for us. I'm concerned that we're spending a lot of time talking about things we have no control over. Our mission has not changed. We want to grow in our knowledge of Jesus and in our effectiveness to make him known to everyone we possibly can. We have a mission. This is a good time for us to get back to the fundamentals. Can I say it again, brothers and sisters? This is a Bible. It's a beautiful love letter from God to us. It contains the insights we need to navigate every situation we will encounter in this life. So let's look at it today. Here's some lessons that I feel moved upon by God to share. I cannot do this on my own. I was created to live dependent on God. I am a broken person in need of rescue. This is the truth about me. How do I know that from this book? Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a Bible truth. This is a human truth. You and I, we are broken. We are hopeless and helpless without God. We are dependent upon him. I am fully dependent on him. When I get to a place where I think I am something more than what is true or real, I can get myself into a bad space. What is helpful for me and how I communicate and relate to others is to realize that I am a broken person and I acknowledge I have fallen, that I have sinned, and I fall short of the glory of God in my own effort, in my own abilities. That's a truth about me. It's true here. There's other truths that resolve that problem that I have. God loves me so much that he sent his son to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. He took my place so that I could be free. 
It's the story of this book. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the truth of this book. This is a Bible. It's a love letter from God. He shows me who Jesus is and that Jesus came into the form of humankind and he died a sinner's death, not by, for his sins, but for mine. He bore mine and yours on the cross. All of our sins were laid on him, and he died that sinner's death so I could live. Knowing that I am without help on my own, that I have sinned and I fall short of the glory of God, leads me to the next truth that gives me hope and sets me free, that Jesus, the Son of God, sacrificed, the ultimate sacrifice. Who is this man? This is God who loves me so much that God the Father sent his own son, Jesus, to take care of the thing that I couldn't take care of for myself. I am fully dependent on him for everything. I need to continue to stay connected to him and to his wisdom and to his grace, for it's his grace that has set me free. He did not come into this world to condemn it. I need to be careful not to take on an attitude that he he doesn't have. Sometimes I can get condemning of the people that aren't thinking right, that aren't doing right, all those others. Who am I? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Me. I have. I'm free by the grace of the one who made the ultimate sacrifice, and he doesn't condemn. He didn't come to condemn, but to set people free. His goodness is running after me. I love that song we sang today. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. I mentioned to Samuel, when I heard that song today, I had this picture in my mind while we were singing it. Like, wouldn't it be interesting to illustrate this? Like, I could run up on the stage while they're singing, run behind the singers, and you could run after me. And and it's like, Your goodness is running after me. Let's just show them how. I'll start running. You start running. Your goodness is running after me. And then I can stop and we can hug. And it's like, I stopped and received the goodness of God. And Samuel said to me, that sounds good, except I think security would probably come after me. Like, well, we'd have to set that up ahead of time. It was a funny picture I had in my mind. I said, well, let's not do it today. We haven't prepared, but that actually was the vision that I had that we could just show this is his goodness is running after me like he's going to chase me down. And if I stop running from his goodness and let him hug me like he'll wrap his arms around me, I'll wrap my arms around him and we're good to go. It's his grace that covers me. It's his goodness that runs after me. And all my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been so So good. I love him because he first loved me. I'm going to receive that today. Leads me to the next lesson from this book. The world is full of humans to serve, not enemies to defeat. 
They need his love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. They, the other, those who aren't walking in the knowledge that I have or you have, those who we speak ill of because we feel like they don't get it. It's important to remember the only difference between a believer and a non-believer is the condition of the heart. He who has a redeemed heart should be broken over the one who has a heart that's still affected by darkness and sin. The world is full of humans to serve, not enemies to defeat. Matthew 9 and verse 10. Jesus goes to the tax collector's house. He invites himself over as a despised man. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy. That's what Jesus desires of us, that we walk in mercy toward others. So instead of condemning, instead of speaking ill of, instead of looking at the other as an enemy, this world is filled with humans that God has called us to serve, not people that we should identify as our enemy. They are not. They are objects, objects of God's affection. They are me, a person who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am they in the same condition. We are equals, equally depraved, and have the opportunity to be equally forgiven, not by our doing, but by his and it's a great message to share, and how we share it matters. If the other only hears us speaking ill of them, how is it that they'll hear the good news from our condemnation and our haughty spirit and our sense that we're better than they are, I'm better than you, I know more than you, what's your problem? And we come at them in that manner. God wants to help us get a different spirit and realize humans are here for us to serve, not for us to come at as if they are our enemy. That's not how Jesus approached me. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our own humanity. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It is a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our own humanity. I am depraved. The other is depraved. We're equal. I am not better than. I didn't fix my own problem. I didn't resolve all the issues that are wrong in the world. And there you've got to figure out what I've figured out. No, I am equal with the other. And when I recognize my own humanity... Now I look at the humanity of another with compassion, realizing I was there too. Now I can come and love them. I can come and serve them. They are not my enemy. They are an object of God's affection, and I want to have that affection on my heart for them too. That's where compassion comes from. This is 
a Bible. It's filled with truth. It helps me. It changes the way I think. It sets me free from my own haughtiness, from my own ego. Luke 5 and verse 4. Jesus had been teaching from the shore, and he decides to change the course of his teaching. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let, your nets, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all, all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. How amazing is this? And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. One of the things that struck me in the reading of this account again today was Peter's response to the miracle, seeing what Jesus did. Brought in this huge catch of fish. Peter knew he was with someone not like him. What did he do? He fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Would it be good for you and me to keep that spirit, to keep that awareness, that when we see the miracles of God, we don't rise up and go, hey, look at me, look what I, I've got this figured out now, but rather we say, man, I am a broken person. I'm just gonna give glory to God and let Jesus do the work that he does and let him do it through me, but I'm gonna keep my spirit right in how I view others. Now, Jesus says to them, get up, you're gonna be all right. You see what we did here catching all this fish? Now you're going to be fishers of men. And this picture of capturing so many fish was a picture of what is coming. I still have that picture in my heart. This is a season that's the best time to be alive when the message of Jesus' love is meant to spread to all who don't yet know him. And how we handle the message matters. How we handle the way we treat others matters. We can be bridges of love to the broken because we recognize we're just like them. They're my equal, equally depraved. I am broken like Simon Peter recognizes. Therefore, I can give the glory to God and not claim it as my own. And I can love on people with a compassion that comes from knowing the compassionate one. Ego seeks to divide and separate. Spirit seeks to unify and heal. If I get too much up in my own head, man, I, I can go at it. I can do some battle. I can divide and separate in the attempt to divide and conquer. And I have then failed at the mission of God. Spirit seeks to unify and heal. How can we come together? How can we find the path to wholeness? Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
I love the way he addresses us. Chosen ones, holy and beloved. What do we do now? Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Above all these attributes, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He's calling us to be people of spirit, not of ego. To lay down our ego at the door and walk in humility, kindness, patience, forgiveness. When we start being caustic when we start being people who look at others as the other. We're not following the fundamentals. Brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. This is God's truth. This is his word. I want to receive it today as his word for me, and I want to walk in it. Father God, I thank you today for your love for me that you reveal your love to me in so many ways. Thank you for this book of love. I pray you help me to receive it, to understand it, to apply it in my journey. Before we finish our prayer, maybe you have a desire to accept his grace. Just follow this prayer with me today. Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for dying for me, taking my sins and paying for it. I believe in you. Thank you for being an overcomer where you rose from the dead to everlasting life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Thank you for that gift that you offer to me. For I believe in you that I might receive eternal life. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.